Hey friends, welcome back to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. So today's interview is one I have been excited about for a while. I think we've actually been trying to schedule it since last spring, but this guest and I both have really busy schedules and we just couldn't make it work until now, but it's going to be very worth the wait um, because this is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart and is also one that's becoming much more um, in the public eye as of late. So I am so excited to have with me today, Diana Rogers. She is a real food nutritionist who lives on a working farm and she speaks internationally about the intersection of optimal human nutrition and environmental sustainability. She is also the creator of the Sustainable Dish podcast and the co-author of the film and books and book that you might've seen, uh, Sacred Cow. It's fantastic. Cannot wait to talk more about this, um, but welcome Diana. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I guess maybe one of the things that's changed in addition to this growing anti-meat narrative globally yeah. is that I no longer live on. Oh no, I should have checked um, my bio with you. <laughs> so. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's all right. Yeah. Um, I haven't been super public about it, but sure. it's no big deal. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I, it was a huge transition yeah. actually, as you might imagine, look, going from a farm to um, being divorced from mm. my farmer husband during COVID. Wow. Uh, but, um, but now it's just like things are shifting so much with work and with the world and everything. Um, and my kids are about to go off to college. Uh, I have one that's 16 and the other is 18. And yeah, it's just like everything's, everything's yeah, different. Yeah, that is a big shift. I think COVID did that for a lot of people. Obvi I mean, obviously it was a change for all of us, uh -huh. but there was a lot of those um, upheavals that happened. I, I know with a lot of friends and family mm -hmm. as well. So yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'm just going to dive in because I have lots to ask you. I'm so excited. Please but do. My first question um, is more of a, a one that's kind of from the angle of a fellow content creator and author. How much pushback have you gotten for this book? Like, has it, how has it been mm -hmm. to be the creator or the co-creator of this, this book and that the film that went with it? Um, well, I can tell you, I mean, I used to work for National Public Radio and none of my colleagues would cover this yeah. book. We did not get, um, you know, we sold enough books to get on the New York Times bestseller list. Didn't happen. Um, there was a little bit of a debacle with Amazon not ordering the number of books that were pre-ordered. And so they didn't ship, um, even though the sales were there. So that was a little frustrating. Um uh, New York Times wouldn't run anything. So it, it's been really interesting. Um, I feel like it's definitely a groundbreaking book. Um, and it's rooted in actual science. Like, it's not like an opinion piece right. or something. Um, but unfortunately, you know, being pro meat um, and pro livestock is a very like political act these days. And um, I definitely feel like there's just been a lot of pushback challenging people's worldviews and conceptions about meat is definitely something that is right now in this climate, very taboo. Yeah. Uh, and just, I don't know, I'm, I'm in my second book writing process right now and just reacquainting myself with the publishing industry. And I, at the whole time, you know, it's just interesting to gatekeepers and it's yeah, freedom of expression and creativity, but you got to stay within these boxes and your book doesn't stay within the boxes, which is why I love it so much. And which is why those of you listening, you guys are kind of anti, you know, establishment folks like me, you're going to really like it. But that brings me to my next question. 
why are we seeing such a huge anti-meat and especially anti-beef push right now? I mean, I've always been aware of it in the periphery. We had the hardcore vegans or the mm-hmm. PETA people, but all of a sudden, maybe since COVID, maybe it started before that, but it feels like, oh my gosh, it's in our faces 24 seven. Why are we, why, what's the shift? Yeah. So the, you know, the animal rights movement has been slowly brewing for a while and, you know, their main thing was less suffering, no suffering. And of course I'm for that too, like less suffering, but there is no, no suffering option in food production, as you know, um, because all life has to come from death in some way. Um, So the difference today is that there's a lot of profits happening in Silicon Valley from these alt meat companies. And they are sort of using people who, you know, there's a lot of people that are unfamiliar with how meat is produced or how food is produced overall. They feel guilty about animals dying. They're concerned about climate change. They um, are worried about their heart health and cancer risk. And it's just this perfect storm of, um, you know, don't kill beautiful animals. I don't want to kill the planet and, um, I don't want to kill myself. And so, uh, I'm going to eat a beyond burger and that is just like a perfect package. So, you know, where butter was vilified many years ago and then vindicated on the cover of time magazine, um, for being bad for our health. Now we've got climate change and, um, killing beautiful animals, right? right? So it's like this trifecta of evil that cattle represent. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to keep track of the the how many angles they have on their prongs of, well, you know, it's it's bad, it's going to kill you because of your heart health, and then it's also hurting the environment, and it's also hurting, it's like they have this multi-prong approach of it's bad, and it's, it's kind of hard to decipher that. I think especially if you're not familiar with farming or ranching or, or the cattle industry, it's really hard to sort through that. And I understand why a lot of people are being drawn to the, the Beyond Burgers because it feels like such a simple alternative, at least how they're portraying it's it. It's such a, yeah. yeah, I know. And, um, you know, the thing is, is they can't win on nutrition, Beyond yeah. Burger. Like, it's just just straight up science, biology. It's like not, not equivalent. Um, They've, they've learned that the pure ethical argument doesn't necessarily work. You need some kind of pseudoscience to pull in there to like justify mm-hmm. it, you know? Um, and so they, but then in the environmental argument, they can't win on ecosystem function. They can't win on water, on, um, you know, improving soil health. They can't win on any of that because their products are made from chemical industrial monocrop agriculture um, which compared to cattle ranching of any form, um, they just can't win. Right. right? But what they can win on is people not understanding what carbon cycles are. And so, um, the carbon emissions argument is the one right now. And I've seen that, you know, as you mentioned, I've been all over the place. So in the last, um, year I've been to Brazil, Australia, New Zealand, and all over the UK, And there are some pretty wacky policies being made right now that are really hurting farmers. And it's all based on people not understanding biogenic carbon cycles and wanting to reduce emissions at all costs. And that that is 100% being driven by the alt meat companies. So even worldwide, they're pushing that agenda outside of the United States. Oh, yes. I can give you examples. I mean, in um, New Zealand, which is 
like pure, they don't really do feedlot finishing. So it's purely pasture-based. Um, farmers are being incentivized by the government to plant, to take their land out of farm production and plant trees to offset the carbon emissions from cattle grazing. It makes no sense. And I know it makes no sense to yeah. you, but it makes sense to all the politicians in New Zealand making these policies. Um, and grasslands are better sinks anyway than forests. Uh, so, and these trees are going to get harvested anyway, right? right. So it, like one day they're going to be harvested and they're, they're not even planting native species. They're planting like these monocrop, you know, pine, it, it makes yeah. no sense. And then in other parts of the world, in the UK, um, you know, large corporations like airlines are buying farmland, taking it out of farm production for the carbon credit. Okay. Um, in Ireland, they're looking at culling about a million cattle, um, which it's going to, again, be for the emissions, but um, it doesn't mean demand is going to go down for me. It just means that the business is going to go to New Zealand or Brazil, but it's going to put all these Irish farmers out of work. So it's really just so unfortunate what I'm seeing everywhere. And it's, again, just all based on just the wrong interpretation of like how nature works. So then Ireland, they're, they, they're literally culling or proposing to cull a million cattle just to cut like the burping and the methane or what is that? What is that what they're, that mm -hmm. is cut and dried what they're saying? Yeah. Right. Because what happens in these like emission, like each country has, um, you know, like an emission score mm -hmm. basically. And uh, because Ireland produces so much dairy and beef, Ireland's, greenhouse gas emissions are really high because of so much livestock being there. So the only, you know, way they can really make a significant dent is by getting rid of them. But that doesn't take into account the consumption that's happening all over the EU from, you know, they're, they're benefiting from it, but they don't, they don't get sort of the tax of the carbon. Yeah. Um, but then uh, countries that produce oil, for example, they don't get, penalized for the emissions because it's not actually being burned in like Saudi Arabia, it's being burned in other places. Oh. And so it, it makes no sense yeah. at all. It's called the territorial emissions. Um, but that's what's going on. And um, everyone's just so, I call it carbon tunnel vision. Yeah. Like all they can think about is carbon, carbon, carbon. But if we really want to reduce all the carbon, then we should just all just end our lives right now, right? right? Kill all right. the, 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 the life in the ocean. And I mean, like, really, it makes no sense at all. And meat is nutritionally one of the most perfect foods for humans. Um, their impact on the environment, as you know, is critical in, in importance. I mean, cattle raised on pasture is the best thing for pasture. You can't have a healthy grassland without healthy cattle on it. Can you explain to those listening because I know before I well before I read your book and before I really started educating myself I kept I kind of knew that cows were important for grass and the car, I kind of knew there was a relation to carbon but I didn't really understand why especially when people started talking about the burps that are always in the headlines and I'm like why why what is why is this in the conversation and can you explain um in the natural order of things how ruminants and herbivores help us with that carbon cycle and what role the grassland plays in that 
Yeah. Um, and it might help folks to, um, so I have, you know, I have an illustration in my book, which is like kind of a dense science-y book, but we did try, try to write it for, you know, lay regular yeah. people to just understand. So I feel like we try to put a little conversation in there, but the film does a really good job mm-hmm. too. We have an animation of this graphic and on my Instagram, um, at sustainable dish, we also post it there. But if you think about fossil fuels, they are mining deep in the earth's core for, um, you know, ancient dead stuff. That's what fossil fuels are. And they're in the process of extracting that and burning it. They're actually injecting brand new CO2 and methane into our atmosphere. And it's mostly CO2. And that lasts about a thousand years. And we can see that the rise in CO2 levels, um, in our atmosphere directly ties into the industrial revolution and the rise of burning of fossil fuels through mostly transportation. Um, In the case of cattle, it's a completely different story because yes, they're burping out methane as part of their digestive process, but it gets recycled very quickly. It only lasts about 10 years in the atmosphere before it breaks down into H2O, water, and CO2, which the plants are taking up again. So they, they release O2, oxygen, which is what we breathe. And then the carbon, the sea, becomes the grass, becomes the roots, gets fed underground to all the microbes, keeps the healthy soil alive. Um, up to about 40% of it gets sequestered in the soil through uh, decomposition and building of new soil. And then the cattle eat that grass again and the whole cycle happens again. And so it all gets churned over. In the case of fossil fuels, it doesn't. It's actually just brand new pollution into our atmosphere. So they should be looked at in very different ways. That makes sense. And, and surely, or I mean, I don't know. I don't know the numbers. Do we have more, at least, or do the projections say that we have more cattle and ruminants now than we would have had, you know, when the buffalo were at their heyday? You know, I was actually going to, that was going to be my next thing that I was going to say. So um, <laughs> we're right in sync. But um, yeah, in North America, we don't have more cattle than we did before we got rid of all the bison and other native um, elk and, and other ruminant animals that we had in North America. So we don't have more net methane emitting livestock or animals in general. We just got rid of the bison and got rid of all the other like natural wildlife. Um, but cattle are actually performing the same ecosystem functions that the bison did. So we didn't, we didn't get such a fertile breadbasket in the Midwest yeah. from, nothing like it was from bison grazing on that land they were tall prairies before um and grasslands have to have grazing animals on them in order to be healthy ecosystems and the audubon society has learned this now and they partner with cattle ranchers for what they call bird friendly grazing because they've noticed that you know with all the corn and soy that's being produced all over the country we've lost insects we've lost food for all the migrating birds and we're losing our bird populations right um but in the case of healthy grasslands it actually is habitat for lots and lots of wild species so it's it's a very different landscape when you go to um you know 
a grassland where there's, you know, beef cattle grazing, but there's also like, it's teeming with insects Mm -hmm. and birds and all kinds of wildlife. So the argument of, you know, well, if we get rid of the cattle, we all eat lab meat and then we just leave the grasslands behind a glass wall and just look at them. That's not, that's not going to work because we need the action of the animals to keep things thriving in essence. Definitely. So not everywhere wants to be a forest. A lot of people think, well, we just need to plant more trees, but that's not true. There's, um, there's a lot of ecosystems that are much healthier as prairies um, or savannas and right. Um, So, but there's this perception that, well, we got rid of all the trees. And so we need to bring all the trees back and only forested areas are healthy areas, but that's not true at all. Um, So, and this idea that we need to just conserve it and not touch it is also really wrong because if that grass just grows and there's nothing to chew it and break it down through their guts and poop it out the other end, it's just going to grow. And then what happens to your lawn? It just kind of turns brown and lays over and dies. Right. And that's why everyone has to go back out there with aerators and fertilizers and everything to kind of keep that lawn green. Well, cattle can do the same thing. When they're chewing on the grass, it's the same as cutting the grass and it actually stimulates the roots to die back, which is part of the process of then um, regenerating and growing deeper roots again in the future. And that's how you build soil is through the dieback and comeback of the roots. Um, and so in it, when the grass is not grazed and just lies down and oxidizes, the roots die and the plants die. So you actually need to have it chomped on mode and then pooped out the other end, spread around as manure. Cattle are also peeing all over the place, which is moving water all over. So you don't have to like irrigate all the time. You can, you can just have cattle on that grass and it actually holds the moisture better when it's healthy soil. Absolutely. Yes. I have seen that. Um, what, or I, I came across a statistic maybe it was in your book, maybe it was somewhere else. I can't remember. And it it basically said that the amount of, of emissions that we get from rotting and wasted food is higher than that, that is produced by animal agriculture in in the United States. Is that true? Or did I remember that incorrectly? So I, I don't know the exact emissions difference if, um, well, here's an interesting thing that I recently learned is that for every pound of plant-based protein, you have four pounds of waste. Mm. That's pretty incredible, okay. right? So let's let's picture soybean protein powder. You have all the soybean hulls and the plant fibers and all that kind of stuff. So we can either put that in a pile and let it emit methane and just kind of break down slowly, or we can feed it to a cow um, in addition to its ration on a feedlot and upcycle that into, again, the most perfect food for humans. And that's why I'm not like completely Mm anti-feedlot beef. Um, So I advocate for regenerative agriculture and for healthy grazing systems and everything. But I also see a place for feedlot beef because it's actually upcycling. It's not like 100% corn that they're eating when they're on a feedlot. They're, They're getting this balanced mix um, and a lot of what they're getting has no other use in our food system. And we can't feed it to chickens or pigs because they're monogastric. And so they can't eat that fiber stuff, but we can feed it to cattle. And it's really the only use we have for that. And so they can take 
cottonseed hulls and soy hulls and all the leftover junk from the ethanol industry, corn husks, and they can turn that into meat, Mm. which is amazing. Um, And so it's actually quite an efficient process. And I know people think, oh, but feedlots are such miserable, horrible places. That's three months of the animal's life that they're there. Um, 85% of our total beef herd right now in America is grazing on land that we can't crop. Right. And so that's pretty amazing too. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, if we take the cows away, it doesn't mean we just have more space for soy protein. We don't. Um, And so in rangeland areas, probably like Wyoming, I'm imagining, a lot of that is not suitable for cropping. They call it non-arable, but you can graze it. And so it's a perfect use of that land. Yeah, we're absolutely in that position here. Um, It is an a monumental effort to grow vegetables or even trees like trees are unnatural here to a certain extent. And I have some trees in my yard, but I have to work really, really hard um, to get them to grow. But what grows is grass and the cattle, like this is cattle country. And when I think about, you know, even if you wanted to turn this into grain, commercial monocrop grain production, like you couldn't do it. There's not enough water. Um, And there's farmers with pivots for like different things in they're kind of scattered around, but there's always that question of there's just not enough water. And so Wyoming would be, or a lot of Wyoming would be worthless without the cattle to convert that grass into protein. Yeah. And the vilification of cattle also means the destruction of rural economies because farming is the backbone of rural America. And what I see now when I drive down I mean, Georgia is a really good example. I'm doing a a workshop at White Oak Mm. Pastures um, next week, actually. And it's in the poorest county of the whole country. And the town, Bluffton, Georgia, where Will Harris lives, uh, was completely like all the farming, like there's not much left, right? And, And you see that. I mean, a lot of people can relate to just driving through like any town USA, And it's all now like big box stores. All the mom and pop stores are gone. And so you definitely can find a Walmart or a Cracker Barrel or, um, you know, any one of these like Olive Gardens, right? I mean, they're just everywhere, absolutely everywhere. Um, And it's really sad that um, small business owners are being pushed out. And it really has to do with the fall of farming, Mm -hmm. with the fall of um, animal agriculture and the consolidation of, um, you know, dairy and beef and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. We can, I see that here in our area where, I mean, the people who are here still making it are ranchers. Um, but there's a lot less than there used to be around the turn of the century. Even just looking at old newspapers, you can see where they had like creameries here and all sorts of places where people were bringing butter and meat and milk. And now that's all gone because we just, everyone drives to the store and gets those things. And the ranchers where there was dozens of them, now there's just a few big ones who bought up everybody else. So it's changed a lot. Yeah. When I interviewed Dr. Allen Williams for my film, he was saying that in his um, county in Mississippi, there used to be 500 small dairy farms and now there's not yeah. one. There's not one. Yeah. Um, but one of the great things is with, um, you know, the resurgence of, you know, some of these, these, these new more hands-on um, farming techniques, like what I've seen at White Oak Pastures 
he now, you know, converted the old uh, mercantile store that was completely broken down. It is now like White Oak Pastures, heartbeat of the town. Everyone eats lunch there. There's a restaurant. Um, his office is the old jailhouse. He took the old church that nobody was using and turned it into an education center. Um, he has provided so many jobs for so many people. And it's really this like alive, vibrant heartbeat again of of this portion of the U.S. that was completely dying. Yeah, it's bringing it back. Um, I love that. So where was I? I had my I had a question that left my brain. Hold on. It was That's a good okay. question. I'm sure it'll come back. <laughs> Whatever it was. <laughs> um, oh, so you you mentioned feedlots, and I, I, that does make sense when you think of it like that. Like if we're going to be producing the grains and the soy, we might as well be putting those waste products to use versus letting them rot in a pile. Um, and that brings me to the question of grass-fed meats or grass-finished meats versus grain-finished. And that was a part of your book that really surprised me. So can you kind of give the rundown for the audience? Because I know we have a yes. lot. I mean, I love grass-finished. Grass, grass finished, That's what we raise and sell. And I know a lot of my audience is the same. What's your thought? What yes. does the science say about that? Yeah. So um, listen, I did not want or even think that this was going to be the answer. Okay. And I just, I see a place now for feedlot finished beef in our food system. It's affordable. It's using food waste in upcycling mm -hmm. it into great food. That's going to feed a lot of people. And I'm a dietitian and a mother. I can't believe what's happening like in the New York city public schools, right. With like vegan Fridays, yeah. meatless Mondays, that is not science-based at all. And 70% of those kids are nutritionally insecure. Yes. And so now we've got them going home to, you know, food deserts on the weekends and we're going to take meat away on Mondays and Fridays. Yeah. Like that was the healthiest part. That burger patty, even if it was feedlot finished or whatever, that was still the healthiest part of that, of the school lunch. Right. You know, when you look at like the, just the, the roll and the bag of chips and, you know, chocolate milk that yeah. they had to go with it. Right. Yeah. So, and that part of your book, um, I had not, so I eat a lot of, go ahead. Didn't need to cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, go I'm ahead. Just saying that part of your book no, where you did please. bring up that the nutritionally insecure, um, population, how much it is hurting them. Cause they were getting the brunt of, Oh, just eat more potato chips. Just eat more bread. Just eat more rolls. Like that's it's it's killing them it's it's we're really hurting them and it's all off of this policy that's making the elites kind of feel better but it's really hurting them i never thought of that that way before i read the book mhm mm that's why i really don't like this message of less meat better meat yeah. because less than what who what happens when people eat less meat um as a dietitian i'm actually very pro protein and think that yeah. people um you know need to be eating more protein because when you eat more protein, especially animal source protein, regardless of its feedlot or grass finished, you're going to eat less of everything else because yeah. you're going to feel more, feel more full. So I'm hoping what your listeners are hearing is that it shouldn't be, well, I couldn't find a grass fed steak. So I ate a bagel. Yeah. yeah. Right. Or a bag of chips or something like that, or a, a bar, um, you know, do the best you can. Um, you know, if you want to do, if you want to support your local farmer, um, and you don't have a lot of money, go for some organ meats or some, uh, you know, maybe ground instead that's cheaper. Um, but if you're just in the grocery store and you're debating between chicken, pork, or beef, 
and there's no grass fed to be found. I'm drinking some stuff. Okay. <laughs> the bubbles um, are getting here. Yeah, Excuse over. me. <laughs> um, if there's no grass, if there's no grass fed beef to be found, beef is still the best choice of those three. And here's why it's 30% more nutritious than chicken. Um, and those chickens and pigs raised industrially are 100% indoors eating only grain their whole life, right? That cow that was finished on a feedlot still started at a calf cow operation, probably in Wyoming or Montana, um, only spent about three months on being finished on a feedlot and they could still walk around. They weren't like caged up, like, like the conditions that you really see in um, chicken and pork. Um, and they are upcycling food that doesn't compete with us for nutrition into the most nutrient dense food you can eat. Um, okay. So now we get to is grass fed better than feedlot mm-hmm. finished. And I looked at all of the existing research and what I found was not significantly. And people say, well, it's the omegas. And when you really look at the profile of fats, like in a steak, what you see is that um, I'm, I don't, is this a video podcast or just audio? (laughs) Surprise. Okay. So I'm holding up my hand, my hand. I'm holding up my hand, like let's say this my the circle of my hand is all the fats, like a like a pie chart, mm-hmm. right? Almost 50-50 is saturated and monounsaturated. Okay. And so omegas are polyunsaturated. It is like the tiniest little sliver of the pie mm-hmm. chart when it comes to the total fats in a steak. And so twice as much omega-3 would still be like two hairs okay. of the pie chart, right? So it's like saying that two pennies is twice as much money as one penny, but it's yeah, still like not much. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go after two pennies to get my money yes, for the day. Yes. Right. So you would still need to eat eight pounds of grass fed beef to get the same omega threes you would get in a three ounce piece of salmon. Mm. So yes, in some studies we did see more omega threes, but it's like saying organic carrots are a better source of protein. No one's eating carrots for protein. Sure. They're eating carrots for other reasons, yeah. right? And so to say, well, only eat the grass-fed beef for the omega-3s is like not, not really an argument. There's some new research coming out talking about polyphenols and, and other compounds. And it does look like, you know, the more diverse the forage, the um, more interesting kind of compounds that these animals have in their meat and um, you know, that's fascinating. I still think though, one, we don't know what like the daily requirement is of polyphenols. So it's hard to say, well, you're going to get, you know, 500% of your daily requirement of whatever this compound is that we don't really know much about. And I still like, when I look at the overall American population with 60% of our calories coming from ultra processed garbage, I'm just trying to get people to eat real food. Like just go to get some carrots. They don't have, and no doctor would ever say only eat organic carrots or don't eat carrots. Right. They would say like, choose, choose organic. If you can find it, if it's good, you know, definitely do that. But otherwise it's okay to just like eat a salad too. Like it doesn't have to be 100% organic all the time. 
that's the same message that I have with meat. So, you know, if you have access and you have the money, please support the rancher that is up the street from you doing great practices. But if you're a single mom working in a city, can't make it to the farmer's market, really trying to just make sure your kids get the nutrition they need, there are vital nutrients in that steak that you cannot get or are very hard to get from plants um, like iron and B12. And we know that food insecure kids do better when they have meat. So uh, that's the solution for that. (laughs) Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's, I hope that's really uh, reassuring for a lot of people because I think there is that, especially in the homesteading world or the the whole food world, like has to be grass finished. And I I mean, I love grass finished. We sell grass finished. I think it's amazing. But if you can't afford that, then at least eat, like you said, eat beef versus a bagel or potato chips. It's going to be better for you in the long run. And really, I mean, better for the environment too, right? Because the potato chips and the bagels are the, the monoculture, mass-produced, fossil fuel crops. So just even feedlot beef is going to be more sustainable, even if it's not grass-finished, right? It, it, I've really come around, like, even since researching the book, because um, I, I definitely used to be, like, a eat grass-fed for omegas. And I, and I think it, it kind of – I had to check my own worldviews mm-hmm. and biases and everything because – um, you know, you want something to be true and yeah. you hear it so much. And I go to Weston A price conferences and I like, I just wanted it to be the right thing. Um, and it is the right thing, but there's also just more complexity mm-hmm. and nuance to the story than I knew about initially. Um, interestingly, grass fed dairy is significantly better. Mm-hmm. And that's because there's more fat to begin with in dairy. Uh, like when you eat a steak, it's it's mostly protein, yeah. right? And the differences are in the fats, but people don't really eat like tallow by the spoonfuls. Sure. Most sure. people Most I know people, don't, yeah. right? <laughs> um, but when it comes to dairy and cheese and, and yogurt and all that kind of stuff, there is a lot more fat percentage than protein when you're eating it. And it does make a difference in dairy. It makes a difference also in eggs. Ah. There's a lot of fat in it. So would it be omegas and so, in both um, dairy and eggs then that we're talking about that would be coming through? Or is it a different part of the fat? It's omegas. Okay. Yep. It's omegas. And it's also more um, more fat-soluble vitamins like vitamin A, um, vitamin K2 in the case yeah. of dairy. So you're, you're just getting more... Um, more healthy stuff okay. basically. Um, but yeah, it's mostly the omegas that you would see the difference in. So I do encourage people to, if they can justify the extra cost for those pastured eggs to get them and to try to get the grass fed dairy when okay. they can. That's good to know. It helps to prioritize, I think, um, in those things Yeah, too, when the budget's uh, tight too. Okay. Yeah. So we know that um, we've kind of balanced out this idea of, of how beef can help the environment. What about the people mm-hmm. who are like, okay, that's nice, but it's still going to give you heart disease and cancer. Red, you know, good old red meat is right. bad for you argument. Well, that's the easiest argument to okay. win because it's just not. <laughs> so the science is pretty clear that, um, you know, those studies that are vilifying meat are not, um, randomized controlled trials. They're not experiments where they take, you know, one population of people and put them in a metabolic ward and make them eat one diet and then a whole nother group for 30 years and follow them. And the only difference is steak. 
and they've locked them up for 30 years. And like, you know, that's just not what's yeah. happening. So what, what these studies are, um, are, you know, they might look at a group like the seventh day Adventists, right. Who are largely vegetarian. Mm-hmm. So they might look at seventh day Adventists compared to a typical American, right. Seventh day Adventists don't smoke or drink. They have a strong sense of community. There's like all kinds of other stuff going on in the Seventh Day Adventist community, in addition to the fact that they don't eat meat, right? Yeah. Compared to Joe Six Pack American, who you know doesn't exercise a lot. I mean, your typical vegetarian exercises more, takes supplements, eats fresh fruits and vegetables, like all the other things that you and I um, probably advocate for, just from a lifestyle, healthy lifestyle perspective. Yeah. Um, so when they adjust for all of those, they find no difference at all. Um, and there was one study that looked at health food store shoppers. So therefore, it's like kind of, a, you know, adjusting for a similar lifestyle with people who shop at a health food store. And what they found is absolutely no difference at all between being an omnivore and being a vegetarian. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Which, I mean, man, basic science. Like I teach my kids that when we're doing experiments. So you have to pick one factor and isolate it. For you, one, one variable. variable, and that's how you. Okay, so we didn't do that. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, I've noticed. Well, I'm. I mean, I'm not carnivore, but I have a lot of friends who are following the carnivore diet, and it's just interesting to see, especially for those with really, um, with like the autoimmune issues and things like that, how much they're clearing up by eating a more meat-heavy diet. Um, it's quite fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we we eat. We're not carnivore, but we do try to, I'm always like telling my kids protein, protein, protein. <laughs> and it's amazing how much different we feel. Um, like the, I feel like, I mean, that's just sort of, you know, my anecdotal evidence, but I, I notice it. No, I, 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 um, I feel best when I get like 140 grams of protein yeah. a day, which is way more than anyone who comes to me for my nutrition practice eats. Um, and it's hard to get that much, but I feel really amazing when yeah. I do. And when I don't get it, it's weird. Cause I don't, I don't crave things at night. Like I don't really do a lot of potato chips, but if I don't get enough protein during the day, eight o'clock comes around and I get this insatiable craving for potato chips and crack like carbs, like bad carbs. And I'm like fascinating. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And some people crave those and other people crave sweet stuff. It really yeah. depends on like, there's, I'm, I'm definitely a salty potato yeah. chip kind of person. Um, and so I try not to even like have them in my house, but sometimes, you know, I have teenagers, like I mentioned earlier. And so sometimes they, they make their way in whether I bought them or not. Um, but, uh, but other people will crave like ice cream and sweet candies and things like that too. And a lot of those cravings go away when you've met your total protein and that's this protein leverage hypothesis. So this idea that we all have this protein threshold that we have to meet throughout the day. And if we don't meet it by the end of the day, we're still looking for any way of possibly getting as much, you know, protein as possible. And that ends up being weird cravings for foods that yes. are not as good yep. for us. Been there, been there, done that more than once. So, mm-hmm. um, okay. Sorry. I'm, the dings going off. I don't know if you can hear that. Can you hear that? The dings? No. Okay. Nope. Good. It's just me. <laughs> my, compu- I, my computer's making noises. I'm glad you can't hear it. Um, anyway. All right. Um, one argument that I hear come up a lot with the whole beef subject is they go, cool, cool. That's nice that you're doing your regenerative farming, but that won't feed the world and we have a hunger crisis. 
So how, how do we address that? Yes. Um, so hunger is a political and food distribution issue. It is not a food production issue. We are producing more than enough food for mm. everybody. It's just not getting into everybody's hands. And that, those are very complicated reasons yes. why it's not. It has nothing to do with food production. So that's A, mm-hmm. number one. Um, but secondly, I, in the book, I do go through the numbers and we do have the land, it seems, to grass finish all of our cattle. So um, as I mentioned before, almost all of our cattle is grass fed. They just are spending the last three months of their life on feedlots. Um so do we have the land in the U.S. to take those last three months and um, they would have to live a little longer because they would need extra time? Because um, that's one of the magics of feedlots, yes. right, is that it like finishes them so quickly. Um, but yes, we uh, there are um, benefits to regenerative agriculture in that it actually makes the land more productive. You can actually increase the what they call the carrying capacity or the number of animals you can have on a piece of land because the soil is so healthy and it's actually producing such more diverse, healthy, um, you know, grasses and other, and other plants that are on that land. So that's one. Um, so it's just more productive Two, their CRP land. Mm -hmm. So farmers are being paid to keep their land fallow. Um, so we could be grazing that and we can also do intercropping grazing. Like after you plow, uh, harvest the corn, for example, instead of plowing it, you can actually just move grazing animals in and they can graze the rest of that, fertilize it and turn it into protein. So, um, that's an amazing thing. And also ethanol, um, we need to stop with ethanol. Um, so we're burning fossil fuels to grow renewable it just makes yeah. no sense at all. So, um, so we need to, you know, stop with this excessive corn production and instead just graze the animals on that land. How much of our corn crop in North America is going towards ethanol versus other f- human food or animal food? It's a large percent of. I can't remember off the top of my head. I know I have the number in the book, so I don't want to yeah, misquote no it. Okay. But it's. I'm going to look a shocking, I, I feel like it's about 30%, okay. but I, I don't yeah. quote me on that. I, it's lot. in the book. Okay. Mm-hmm. So with the current farm paradigm, this using so much, so many fossil fuels and tilling the soil and damaging the soil structure and the soil nutrients, and then we're pouring more fertilizers on it with that current modern model, which we all, I mean, everyone we're taught that's normal. And this is how we do things now. How much longer can that keep going? Because I feel like when people are are um, coming after beef, they're acting like this is just the alternative that is just the way it is and the way it will be. But can this keep itself propped up indefinitely? Um, yeah. So there are people that say that, you know, we only have 60 harvests left, and according to the United Nations. Um, and I actually, when I was writing the book, wanted to find the source of that, like exactly where's their yeah. evidence for this. And so I went back and I looked and I actually found out that it is a quote from um, an employee of the United Nations. And she said it kind of off the cuff okay. at a conference to somebody like, we only have 60 harvests left, like not like in this sort of official stance with like sure, actual sure. data. Um, so whether or not it's 60 or 50 or a hundred, 
it's not much longer. Um, and you know, there's been books written about civilizations that have farmed themselves to death because they ruined all the soil. We are definitely headed in that direction yeah. too. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's concerning. Also, it feels like there is such a, I wouldn't say easy alternative, but a logical alternative that is just a mm-hmm. matter of education. How else can, as we wrap this up, how else can people like me or the podcast listeners, what can we do to help this? I mean, if we, if they can't, if someone can't raise a steer in their backyard, um, what other steps can they take to um, not only make sure their family has better quality food, but also just help with soil regeneration and just that general awareness. Yeah. Um, so in the back of the book, Sacred Cow, um, we do have like, what can you do? Okay. And, you know, the first is, you know, eat, be sustainable and take care of your own health. Right. So don't be a burden on our healthcare system. And it's funny because we, you know, we saw people who weren't as healthy really suffer a lot more from, uh, COVID than other people. And I'm not saying that, that it's their fault yeah. or anything like that, but w- if you're not overweight and metabolically broken, it's sort of like, you're not doing American, yeah. right. Yeah. Right. Like the, 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 the food landscape we have in this country is horrific. And so if you're, if you're not one of these wackos like us that are, you know, really international yeah. foods and like making stuff from scratch, like that's a radical yes. thing. But if you're not radical, you're broken and that's, it's not their fault, right? They're being taught that that's yeah. normal and it's not normal. Um, and so, so we have kind of a, a nutrition plan that you can follow that basically is, you know, eat less, no, less processed foods, um, you know, kind of like a 30 day challenge and then, you know, 80, 20, like live in the real world, but like the majority of your life, you really do need to be kind of a radical person. Um, and then we have other things you can do as far as keeping yourself out of debt, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, living within your means, just not, not, you know, the whole consumerism yep. thing. Um, and then supporting farmers, uh, supporting just regional food systems in general and trying to like get away from the centralized food systems. Um, and then, I started a nonprofit called the Global Food Justice Alliance where I am that's funding me to go around the world and speak at all these conferences and tell these governments like in New Zealand this is crazy you should not be taking farmland out of production and planting trees here this makes no yes. sense so um so I've been flying around the world um I'm I'm about to well I have uh, white oak pastures coming up and then after that I'll be in Dublin uh, for the International Meat Summit, um, where we're going to be putting together a paper, a scientific series of scientific papers that are going to be published in Animal Frontiers in 2023. And it's going to be the definitive science on nice. meat, nutrition, environment, ethics, and economics, livelihoods. Fantastic. So I'm really excited about that. Um, so people can join my Patreon, Global Food Justice, or, um, you know, support me through that website and that I'm really kind of the only one that's pushing back. There's, there's, there's a few other academics that are out there speaking about this kind of stuff, but, you know, everyone else just seems to be completely sold on this bandwagon of less meat for the planet, more processed garbage, fake foods, and they're just buying it. And nobody's, I feel like I need like 
an earth size megaphone to like shake everybody out of this mindset and, and let them know that they're going down the wrong path. Well, I for one am grateful that you're doing it. I know it takes a lot of bravery because to go against the flow and being the lone voice in the wilderness. So thank you for putting yourself out there. I know you get a lot of criticism, um, but we need people like you who are willing to put themselves out there to get the truth and get the science to the masses because they're not hearing the truth. Um, so Global Food Justice Alliance yeah. is will ha- will send people there. Mm-hmm. Um, you, all, do you all have a podcast too, right? Sustainable Dish Podcast. Is that still going? Okay. Yep. As yep, Sustainable Dish okay, Podcast. Awesome. Yep. And then um, Diana also is Sustainable Dish on Instagram too, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And then they can, okay. yeah, if they want the book, it's yes. available everywhere. Sacred Cow. So good. And um, and then the film is um, the best place to find it is probably Amazon. Or if you have one of those smart TVs, you can just say Sacred Cow. Fancy. My kids showed me I, how I to do that. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and it just like shows up. <laughs> I, I type it in like old school. <laughs> I do technology to a point and then I don't do it anymore. But yeah, we watched it with the kids. It was excellent. Yeah, it so, was so good. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I Absolutely. really appreciate you. This was fantastic. Thank you for answering all my questions. And yeah, I wish you so much uh, success in the next few months as you're flying and traveling and spreading the good news. So keep it up. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Have a great day.